0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have A.J. O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from sunny Pleasant, Pleasant Grove. Amy Knight.
1: Hey, hey, from a gloomy Nashville.
0: Steve Edwards. Hello, from sunny Portland. Dan Shapir.
2: Hey, coming at you from Tel Aviv. It was sunny, now it's night, still under lockdown. Hopefully not for too long, though.
0: I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest. It's Gil Tayar.
3: Hi everybody, Uh, also from Tel Aviv, uh, starting our Independence Day celebrations
0: here. Oh, congrats! If you're a front-end developer looking for remote work, then I recommend G2i, a React and React Native focused hiring platform that will connect you directly with their clients that need your skill set. What makes G2i a unique hiring experience is that they spend the time marketing you to their clients of your choice. G2i is a team of engineers that technically vets you up front. If you pass their vetting, their clients have agreed to skip their initial interview process, saving you time and energy getting your next gig. They take care of all the hard work for you so you can get focused on development. To join G2i, go to g2i.co and apply. So Dan set this up and I'm going to let him introduce what's going on. Gil, we've had you on before though, I'm pretty sure. Do you want to just remind people who you are?
3: Yep, I'm senior architect, whatever that means at Tools. I designed and and architected and built the Visual Grid. I'm also a developer advocate. Go to conferences, blog posts, Twitter, whatever, like part timeish thing. And basically, 30 35 years in in the industry. So did a lot. Cool.
0: All right. So so Dan, you were giving us kind of an intro before the intro, and all I really heard was that AJ's a contrarian. So do you want to tell us what the deal is here?
2: <laughs> so yeah, for sure. So um, I think right before we went into lockdown, uh, there was this uh, conference in Tel Aviv called No TLV. I actually missed that conference because I already put myself in lockdown. That being said, I did watch all the videos. And one of the great videos from that conference was uh, Gil speaking about, ESM modules and how great they are in general, and how great they are in particular in Node, and the fact that Node now finally has good support for them. And I thought it was an excellent topic on conversation, so I wanted to to have Gil here on the show. Blushing.
0: <laughs> so, do you want to give us Gil kind of the ten thousand foot view as far as? you know, what the uh, ESM modules are and how they work in general. I think I think some people are going to be familiar and some people kind of take for granted how they work. May have used them and not realized it. So, yeah, just give us a rundown and then we can talk about what it means in Node.
3: Sure. ES modules are, like, first things first, they are a feature of JavaScript since ES6, ES2015. So they're with us for five or six years already. Basically, they haven't been implemented. They're the last ES6 feature that's been implemented. They've started to become implemented on the browser like natively. and now in node.js uh, natively. but people have been using them for five years, not natively, but rather by transpiling them. And we'll talk a bit later about, I mean what, what does transpiling ES modules do in node.js and in the browsers. There's a whole history there and a lot of stuff that's really, really confusing because of that history, and because everything is so late in the game, hopefully this this episode will you know
2: remove a lot of that confusion just to add to that just to. Maybe to clarify, when we say ES modules, what we practically mean is the uh, import keyword and the export keyword and the export default keyword combination and so forth, right? Exactly. Let's
3: think pre-ES modules days. What, what, I mean, back in the days, I mean, really back in the days, JavaScript didn't even have a module system. It never did. Like there was one big script source and people worked with that and that was fine back in the, you know, MySpace days and GeoCity days. um, But then things started to become bigger and bigger. The source code became bigger and bigger and people wanted to separate them into separate files, which makes sense. What people did in the JavaScript, well, in JavaScript was because there was no module system, they invented one. And then we had things like People don't remember that, but today, but Dan probably does. AMD and RequireJS were the two more popular ones. There were these weird stuff where you wrote the files, and then there was this thing that combined them all into one and like hooked them with various means. I think Google Closure also did a sort of a module thing, but in the end, the browser—and we're talking browser days, pre Node.js—the browser had to have just one script source. So basically, all the files were combined into one. That was pre-ESM. Now, even pre-ESM, Node.js comes to the scene. Node.js had to have a module system because writing server-side code with one big file doesn't make sense. So they borrowed one, something that wasn't really used back then, but Node.js made very popular. It was CommonJS. CommonJS is what is now used in Node.js for a module system. It's that require load dash or require foo. Or whatever, where you write a file, uh, what is called a module, you do a module.exports and export whatever you want on that exports object, and when you require that file, uh, node.js basically uh, runs the file, takes the module.exports object and returns it as a return value of the require. So it's a really, really cool and simple module system. Love it. I mean when I saw it, it was like, oh, this is so simple. makes total sense and and that was no js that was pre es6 and then in the es6 people came and said no we need a you know a real module system something that is part of the language something and that breaks the language you mean well, that, that's—I mean—conditional. I mean, a lot of things break the language. Object that assign breaks the language. For out breaks the language. Async away breaks the language. Promises break the language. Wait, how does
4: object break the language? I mean, it's not backward compatible. How is it not
3: backwards compatible? No, not object assign. Okay, but for No, away, actually, object
2: assigned I, as well. If you happen to have, if somebody happened to have to put an assign method on object, on the global object instance, and then you get object assigned as part of the language, then all of a sudden you have a problem. And there's that famous uh, smoosh gate because, uh, what was it? Uh, Mutools or somebody put uh, flat or flatten on arrays and suddenly you couldn't do array.flat because that broke existing well, that, code. Right, but, sorry, but th- that's, that's an different. edge
3: case. That's definitely an edge case, but... I mean, any feature, any syntactic feature in ES6, seven, eight, whatever, breaks previous languages. I mean, that's why we transpiled to ES5 because all those language features don't work in previous JavaScript syntax. A lot of Java, new JavaScript breaks old JavaScript. That, that's what new JavaScript features are. They, they're basically additions too. So yeah, any addition breaks previous language, but but that's fine. That's how languages evolve. All languages evolve that way. And and having, I mean, good or bad, I I try not to, I mean, not having a module system, but rather cludging something from from like require and everything is fine and it works really well for Node.js. But, you know, it's not part of the language and, and a lot of tooling has problems with that and everything. I think I think making modules a part of the language, just like, I mean, is there any language other than JavaScript that doesn't have a module system? Well, C++ in some ways doesn't have a module system, C and C++, because they have this weird combination of #include, uh, hash include and whatever. But other than that, all languages have a module system and like JavaScript wanted one. So they... Designed one. It's, it's ESM, ES modules, which is, as Dan Sapir said, import something from whatever and export default and export const x equals whatever. It's a land, and it, it, and it actually, I mean, definitely broke the language, but it's become immensely popular in the front end world. I mean, most code today, whether it's Angular, React, or Vue, uses ES modules. In the, in the language. They're transpiling it, and, and we can talk a lot about how they're transpiling it, but syntax-wise, they're definitely using ES modules.
4: And um, I would say yes, ES modules are definitely a native feature of React script. I've definitely seen that. I find, I find it to be confusing because it came from Ruby and C Sharp. Those were the people on the committee that wanted to break the language rather than continue with the existing standard CommonJS, which is a module system and does work pretty darn well, both in the browser and in Node, which the import stuff
3: has not. Without well, r- well, I, I actually, I CommonJS doesn't work in the browser. What, what, what happens is that bundlers like Webpack, Browserify, Rollup, etc., what they do is they transpile it into one big file back again. They have no choice. No, require, require can work in the browser just fine. Not really, because require is an, a synchronous. Uh, uh, it's a synchronous feature, and browsers can't can't do HTTP in a synchronous manner. They can. Do they it
4: actually time. can. XML HTTP request is synchronous,
3: and it's deprecated. Uh, if you think of fetch, fetch is async only, and and I, as as far as I know, all uses of require whether Webpack, Rollup, et cetera, I mean, like 100% are by bundling and not by HTTP using XML HTTP. So basically, require and import are being transpiled. Now, I think require is amazing. I mean, CommonJS is amazing, but it's not part of the syntax. And I think the fact... It, It is part of the syntax.
4: It is part of the syntax. But I, I grant you the point that, like, predominantly in the browser, no, people are not using require synchronously. They're using some sort of tool that uh, gives it the ability to load asynchronously by wrapping it or to perhaps converting it over to the very oddly named require.js syntax, which is actually define, not require. But
3: yes. Yeah. Was confusing back
2: in the days. The AMD, the AMD, AMD syntax. syntax, yes, yeah, which is which is a total different thing from Common JS. So, not
3: not necessarily, by the way. Rollup and Parcel don't don't do the webpack. No, theme. they
2: they do oh. UMD, which works both ways. Although that does introduce some issues. But the way that you then import that stuff is you either you import it either using a Common JS require. Or using required JS, and one of them is synchronous by definition, and the other one is asynchronous by definition. And using them both within the same project is an invitation to, uh, for problems.
3: Yep. So, so the, the ES spec people, uh, rightly or wrongly, doesn't matter, define the import export syntax, the, uh, what, what is now called ES modules. And by the way, the the I think what the nice thing is, they took the most the best module system of the day, which is CommonJS, and they basically turned it into syntax. If you look at CommonJS and you look at ESM, they're basically the same, but different syntax. The idea of default export wasn't in ESM originally, it wasn't in ESM module ESM modules, but they took it from CommonJS and now we have export default. And named exports obviously comes from CommonJS because in CommonJS, you can you the exports object can be like an object with with like the properties in it. So that's basically like named exports. So when you do import a col a a b from whatever, you're basically doing a named exports, which is similar to const a b equals require whatever. So the syntax is like amazingly similar, and 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 that and and I think that's a good thing. I think. You know there are quibbles on 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 syntax and, and and yak shaving on that bike shedding, but basically it's taking require taking common js and turning it into a language feature which is which is great so i I of course
4: disagree on this. The primary thing that comes to mind and a lot of people are not concerned with performance anymore. a lot of people don't care about how weighty something is you know bundle up six megabytes of JavaScript in a file it, you know they're cool with it but with require, you have the option both in Node and in the browser, depending on implementation, though I grant very few implementations worked in such a way. Um, but you have the option of lazy loading. For example, you know it's very common to have a gigabyte of dependencies in your Node modules folder. And if you try to load all of those at once, it's very common that a server might take 30 seconds, 45 seconds to fully boot up. Now, granted, if somebody's writing that kind of server, they're not you know caring much for conservation in the first place. So kind of a, a bad example, but I've run into that type of issue on the Raspberry Pi. That's where even normal apps can start to become underperformant or take long load times. And you could do tricks with require to, you know, put a require on the first line for something you need right away, have some sort of a knit method, let things get started, let the server get going, and then start requiring other things that are needed for background tasks and et cetera, et cetera. And the import syntax does require that you have to have everything load all at once. Now, granted, you can still use require with import. There's nothing stopping you from having a require in code that has an import in it because require is well-defined. It's easy to understand. It can you know, easily be implemented and transpiled and all that. But I think it, it, although you know, people make the argument of tree shaking and all that with import, I, I, don't, I don't understand why you can't do that with a require. But import does have some disadvantages over require and the syntax breaking and also in that it functions. Everything has to be uh, eager loaded
3: to work. I totally agree in ES 2015. In ES 2018 or 2019, I don't remember, we have a await import. So you can dynamically import lazily or dynamically import whichever module you want. And, you know, you, you were talking about cold starting a server. If you think about it, require is, to, I mean, Node.js is, is a totally async environment. And yet the module loading system is synchronous. That's, that's, uh, that's basically crazy. Well, uh, it, it's,
4: it's not as crazy as you think because the time, so I did performance tests on this because, like I said, I had this as a real world problem. The Where you lose the time is actually when you hit vm.compile. You do not lose the time on the FS read. The FS read time is sub-millisecond. The VM compile time is where you get into multiple
3: milliseconds. Yes and no. So, okay, Uh, we're going deep into the rabbit hole. Maybe we can, you know, come back to that later. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I have answers to all that.
4: Uh, but, hey, I'm
3: super excited
4: to hear about this. I did not know what you said about the 2018. Okay, so await so import is, an,
3: is, a, is crazily important. Not only that, uh, in, in 2020, ES2020, 2020, we have top-level await, which means we can await import or await uh, file read on the top level and not only in an async function. But this works only... If the module is an ESM module, an ES module, it cannot work in a CJS module because CJS is basically synchronous. We're getting a, li- a little bit, you know, forward uh, um, here. Let- let's 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 go back to, to the history. I, I really want to go back to the history. So you know, we're in we're we're in in, in ES6 world, and we have the two. You know, we have JS and we have all those AMDs and everything, and then uh, up comes ES6 with with import-export, right? Now what happened are are two amazingly interesting things. In parallel, one is browse, and, and, and and they basically have nothing to do with one another. One is browsers started implementing ESM natively, okay? So today in all browsers except IE, I don't care about IE, Uh, You can do an import from to a file that is on your server. So you can do import from .slash mymodule.js, okay? And what the browser will do is will HTTP get to and bring that file and use it as an ES module. No bundling, no nothing.
2: Uh, uh, just a quick comment, before, Gil, before you continue, because yes. people might be running out to try it if they if they're not familiar with it. You do need to put script type equals module for that to work.
3: Yes, yes. The the entry point in the HTML has to have type equals module on it. Otherwise, the script itself will be like non-module, so it can't import. Yes. Thank you, Dan. Like a yeah. red a red black thing
4: where. Red modules can import other red modules and black modules, but black modules cannot import red modules.
3: Exactly. And, and it's basically, and they define names for those red and black. So uh, in, in ES6, you have script and module, okay? Script cannot import a module. And, and uh, it, it go, once you're in module land, you're in module land forever. And once you're in script land, you're in script land basically forever, unless you do an await import. That, but that's, uh, but, yes, but from module
4: land, you can still go to script land.
3: You can import uh, a script from a module. Not that I know. No, not, no. not in the browser. Not in the browser. In, in
4: Node.js, yes. Not in the browser. Okay, so uh, in the browser, red modules only support red modules, black modules only support black modules, and there is no intermingle. Yes.
3: And in Node.js, common JS is script. And yes, modules are modules. Okay, that, that again, to important.
2: interject a quick point about no mingle. Yes, they cannot mingle, but they can obviously access each other because they both see the global browser namespace. Exactly. So obviously, if if both of them put a function on window, for example, they can definitely call each other. Uh, yes. They cannot import each other. That that's the that's the important point.
4: So I I couldn't from a Java module. No wait, that's not right. But if it's if we're replacing JavaScript with Java module, no, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so if if I were to do one of those documents uh, like window or no add element script blah blah blah, you know that that little trick you do sometimes to to load a script in the background the same way that JSONP used to work, that type of trick, no worky in a JavaScript module? No, no, no.
2: That would work work because both of them see see the DOM. It's not that they each have any restriction with with regard to access to the DOM or DOM functionality. Like I said, they even can call each other's functions because you can just put the function on the window object or whatever. Uh, What you cannot do is you cannot use ES6 import or ESM import from within a regular JavaScript code that doesn't have type equals module or was originally imported from something recursively from something that had a type of module. Likewise, from within type of module, you don't do a common JS sort of a thing.
1: I'll give like a practical example, maybe, because we were talking about this before the call. So I'm trying to um, get a really old app over to at least using some modules so that I can test it more, so I can use it test more easily. And right now, everything is just in script tags and the HTML. So what I've done is just to try to do this like piecemeal is I created a couple just regular JavaScript modules, like we're used to. But then what I had to do so that I could do this like iteratively and not just do it like all in one big fell swoop is I'm having to import some of those modules in a script tag in the HTML. And and of course I had to, so that script tag, um, that's actually like, there's JavaScript within that script tag, and that JavaScript within the script tag, hopefully this is making some sense for people if they can like imagine this in their heads. So there's actually JavaScript in that script tag inside the HTML. And that JavaScript is, uh, it was previously just using a script tag to import the file. Um, but I've changed that file to export whatever <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. I had to update the script tag from um, the, the type JavaScript to type module. But then once I did that, I'm able to import the helper module that, that JavaScript in my HTML is relying on the functions for. God, that was. A I, I feel like no, that, I did a terrible beautiful. job explaining no, that, but
3: that, that's that's beautiful because you're basically using uh, ESM the way it was meant to be as like a replacement for script. So and, instead and, of and, having a lot of script sources, you have one script which imports a lot of a lot of modules. This is probably made
5: sense to me, Amy. I got
3: okay. it. Okay.
1: And I'm trying to like, I mean, what I'm trying to do is to try to minimize because this application really doesn't need a lot of JavaScript, but because I like testing so much, I want to be able to test it. Um, I don't want to like overcomplicate things by introducing like a bundler and, and all that stuff. I just want to use like whatever I can get that comes native in browsers, which we don't have to support IE, so I was able to do this.
3: Perfect. The nice thing is that, well, if, if the code uses DOM, then it will not work obviously, but you can run that code today in Node.js and the import export will work. And if you use a library like JS DOM to simulate the DOM, then the same code will work both in Node.js and in the browser. That's, that's, for me, that's beautiful.
1: One other thing I'm going to throw in super quickly. So, I mean, one of the issues that, you know, there's not a lot of, there's really nobody else on the team who knows JavaScript, but, you know, they were having to, like, fight issues of, like, the order of their script tags, and by doing this, that's no longer a problem. So there's some benefits there as well.
3: Yep. Okay, so uh, we we were in, in browser land, right? And, and browsers got what, what Amy was using, which is basic module support for ES6. Including a weight import and everything. But the interesting thing is, if we go back to Node.js and require, require, when you do a require like dot slash poo, okay, dot slash uh, a module, it doesn't look for a module. It looks for a module.js and a module.json. And when you do a require low dash, then it doesn't look for the file lodash. It looks for node module slash load dash slash package JSON and slash index.js. It has this whole algorithm where it looks for files based on your import string on the string you pass to require. So if it's a relative file, it will look relatively. And if it's not a relative file, if it's a bare specifier, like load dash, that's that's called a bare specifier, then it looks up upwards in the file in the in the tree for node modules. For a node modules folder with a lodash directory. So, so basically, basically
2: what you're saying is that even though they look like paths, what they actually are are let's call them some sort of in, in the indices into some sort of that used by some sort of an algorithm that translates them into a path, but they aren't really paths in and of themselves.
3: Exactly. And whenever you do a require something, you're basically doing about five to 10 uh, file operations just to get at that file. Now, it works in a, in a Node.js environment because files are cheap, okay? But in browser land, you can't do that. You can't look for a file and then look for another file because each one of those is HTTP and HTTP is not cheap. Definitely not back in the days of HTTP 1, but even in HTTP 2, those things are not cheap. So browsers said, okay, we're not going to do any lookup. We're not going to support bare specifiers at all. So you can't import from Lodash. And when you're specifying a relative path, you can't do dot ./.foo. You have to say dot ./.foo.js because we're going to do an HTTP GET and get that foo.js. And we're not going to look for foo and foo.js and foo.json, whatever. Just give us the path. So browser land, and this is important for, we'll see in node. For browser land, you have to specify the whole path, including the extension. That is incredibly important. And this is why? Because browsers can't do HTTP like they do file systems. And I'd also argue that
4: it is best to do it that way in Node as well, because if you haven't hit an ambiguous case where it works wrong, you will eventually. And... I mean, I know a lot of people are like, well, I'd rather save 10,000 keystrokes over the next five years. I'd rather write the extra 10,000 keystrokes on the .js and the .json and always be completely clear what happened with the module loading.
3: Totally agree. And if you remember back and when we talked about Cold Start, a lot of the time in Cold Start... Is wasted on looking for all those files in the node modules and in whatever. Well, Wait not, at, not really,
4: because you're usually going to get it on the first hit, and even on a block device, even if it's not SSD. What What do you mean? No, you're not going to get uh, it on the first.
3: Uh, hit? Uh, when, when I was at Wix, but by the way, Dan, Dan Shapiro knows me at Wix. We, we worked on this project called Wix Code, and and then and now it's called. Wait for it, Wix Corvid. Yes, I know that's. Um,
2: uh, Corvid, not COVID. <laughs> yeah. It's important to make that yeah. distinction. <laughs> yeah. anyway, marketing is going uh, to kill not me. When we, at all. Nah, is going to kill me when they hear me say that. But please go on.
3: Cold start was cold start was a, a big issue because we're based, Wix Corvid or Wix Code back in the days. What is a serverless solution, basically? And cold start was a big thing. And what one of our developers did was, whenever we do a require, uh, for, for, you know, our whole thing does a require. What they do is they cache all the decisions by Node.js, and the next time that module runs, the next time the application runs, we just you know pat, patch the require to just know where the files are. That saved about thirty percent of the cold start time, which is a lot. Definitely not like it's not 50%, but a big part of the cold start time in a Node.js application is spent on all those little searches. But definitely uh, you you and the Node.js modules team are on the same page in terms of let's be more specific instead of having Node.js guess what the file path is. Okay, so that's what happened in Browserland. On the Node land, something interesting happened Node started getting more and more NPM modules. NPM started to grow. And, you know, the browser, people, the front end people, remember that's before bundling. They looked at the NPM registry and said, oh, there's a really nice things we can use there. But they couldn't use it because they were using AMD and require JS, which are like these old module systems and not common JS. So then this guy came along and wrote Browserify. That was the first bundler. What Browserify did is it took an npm package with all those requires, transpiled all those requires, and bundled them into one big file, just like Webpack does. But that was before Webpack. So now you have you can use those npm packages that were meant for Node.js. You can use them in browserland. You can use CommonJS in browserland, and Browserify basically did a, a revolution in, in, in front-end land. We don't remember that today because everybody's using bundlers. Yeah, that, that's, that's when
2: we went from having uh, kilobytes of JavaScript download <laughs> to megabytes of JavaScript download. Yes. Thank you, Browserify and Webpack.
4: Well, a, lo- a lot of that is because the way that it bundled it was not very smart. So say, for example... You did something that used Buffer, which is everything in Node. Uh, rather than using an implementation that would take, you know, like four or five lines of code, which you can do using A to B and B to A and escape and URI encode, and, and like you, you, you can you can get this to happen using things that are natively available in the browser. But that's not the way that it got packed and transpiled. I don't know why they made the choices that they did, but they kind of, instead of using browser functions, they kind of used like pure JavaScript to do some of these implementations. So they they re-implemented the wheel and then some on a lot of stuff. And Buffer is one of those modules where it was a little overzealous, I believe, and that it kind of like even copied the bugs of Buffer, which are not, I mean... From my perspective, if you're trying to get something to run in the browser, it would be acceptable that it fail if you're using like an obscure feature that is deprecated or whatever, but like everything about Buffer, every little nuanced detail about Buffer was replicated in like this pure JavaScript without using any of the native browser things that had been there since, like, you know, 1998.
2: And uh, yeah, I, but I, I think you're going down down... I, 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 you're right, but I think you're going down the wrong rabbit hole here. I think that the, the main issue is the developers tend to just use the path of least resistance whenever they're developing anything. And if I know yes. that uh, Moment JS happens to do, to do what I need to do in terms of uh, date uh, working with date and time, and it's so easy now, thanks to browser, first Browserify and now Webpack to bundle in Moment.js, then I will bundle in Moment.js. And because... Uh, uh, I'm not a specialist of, about how to configure npm. I end up uh, bundling five different versions of Moment.js into my application, and before I know it, my download size is 600 kilobytes. Even well, though my own that's code, a
4: pretty lean site by today's standards.
2: Yeah, even though my own code is only i don 't know twenty kilobytes of, uh, of minified code because you know i 've never actually wrote more than that, but again, I think we're kind of straying away from from the main topic here
3: right, because browserify did try to try to do two things: emulate node and, 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 and pack and bundle. webpack came and, and, and basically killed browserify because it tried to do only one thing bundle it didn 't care about node, which makes sense historically because back in the days when browserify started. All the NPM packages were node. Now, in the Webpack days and roll up and Parcel, like I'm guessing that 90% are front-end uh, in NPM. So I, I think what you're saying is totally true, but the reason that happened was, was historic. And, and Browserify is basically um, not really used anymore, so it's a moot point. But, but the interesting thing is that the front-end people started using CommonJS. And not only that, they used the CommonJS node resolution module. So they didn't write foo.js like the browsers. They just wrote foo and low dash and used bare specifiers because that is how Node.js works. This is how CommonJS works. And then came the webpacks of the world and, and the babels of the world, and they didn't want to use require. They wanted to use ES module syntax. So the webpacks of the world and the babels of the world just said, hey, why, why not ditch require? and just use the import-export syntax and still bundle. And this is what we have in the browser land, in front-end land today, not in browser land. Front-end land uses the import syntax, but uses the resolution module of CommonJS. So when you're doing import lodash, the bundler goes and looks at node modules and and all that package JSON and looks at everything to find it just like Node.js would. And when you're writing import from foo, dot slash foo, it goes and look for dot slash foo.js. So we have front-end land using ES modules, but with node resolution, with with you know with finding modules the way node, and we have the browser land not doing that. So front-end land is using bundlers, but cannot migrate to browser land. Be, and they can only bundle because their module resolution is different, so this is this is like uh, ironical in that it, it basically the front end people implemented es modules a bit too quickly uh, in some ways they did it before browsers did, and when browsers did it like the right way there's no going back well not yet we 'll talk about how how this will happen, but we basically now have three module systems, CommonJS and Node.js, transpiled ES6 modules that work a bit like CommonJS, and ES modules, which, you know, just use uh, relative
0: paths. Right now, many of you are stuck at home, but eventually everything will open up. All right, listeners, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you rather work from home instead of a cubicle or a noisy open office? Need to negotiate with your team and convince them to let you do it? Well, I have the perfect book for you. It's by my friend Will Gant. It's called Remote Work get a job, or make a career working from home. He's a proven author, software developer, and professional consultant with over 20 years of experience in a variety of roles, and now he wants to share his trade secrets with you. In remote work, you'll discover how to save more time, money, and mental energy each year, how working remotely can give you and your company a competitive edge in the market, managing your physical health, mental health, career goals, and relationships. You'll also get the ultimate list of tools and resources to help you transition into working remotely and much more. This is the perfect time to test out if working remotely is for you. And if you enjoy the freedom of working anywhere you want, then you can pick up your copy of Remote Work on Amazon today, or click the link below in the show description.
3: Now comes Node.js native modules and introduces a fourth option. Remember, we have BrowserLand, which just uses relative paths, but you have to specify the whole path. We have have CommonJS, which uses require and where you don't have to specify the whole path. And we have transpiled ES6, which is used at front-end lines in bundlers, which uses the syntax of ES6, but not the module resolution, so you don't have to specify the whole path. Now comes Node ESM. One of the prime directives of the designers of Node ES modules, when I'm talking Node ES modules, I'm talking native, not transpiled. They wanted to be as browser-compatible as they could. And that is an important thing. What did that mean? They mean that just like CJ said, uh, AJ, sorry, they did not accept foo. They had to have foo.js, .slash foo.js. So in ESM land, in Node, you have to, when you're importing, you have to import .slash foo.js and not .slash foo. So that's one big difference. And a prime directive, that, that is one of the main reasons Node ESM is so different from, from CommonJS in, in Node.js. So that, that's, that's like a bit of a history of, of, of the order of things and why things happen. I have a lot more to talk about in, uh, on the Node ESM side, but if you have any questions up to now...
2: Aside from your describing some things that I also discovered for myself, some of them the hard way, other than that, it's pretty clear to me.
3: Great. Right. So, so, so basically, that, that was Node's no, prime directive. Let us be as browser-compatible as possible. But they had a problem. They had a big problem because browsers, remember, we have script and module. Browsers have that distinction between script and module. So... We, we talked about the fact that a script can't do an import, uh, but there are other differences between script and module. For example, a module is always strict mode. It, it can't be sloppy, if, if you know the distinction between strict mode and, and sloppy mode in, in, in JavaScript.
2: You're referring to use strict, right? Yes,
3: use strict, exactly. So a module is always use strict, and I think you can't go back, so you can't do use sloppy. You cannot.
2: There is no way to uh, to undo a use strict within a block.
3: Moreover, this means that, for example, global this, if you use this in a global scope, it's undefined in a module. Whereas if you use this in a global scope in a script, it it's it points to something you know, in the window object and in browsers and in node.js, I don't even remember what.
4: So do modules actually define the global object or is that still something where you have to do like window.function, eval, whatever,
3: whatever. Oh es uh, yes 2020, which is implemented in I think all the browsers and in Node.js, defined this horribly horribly named thing called global this. Global this is the new global window. It works both in Node and in all the, in all the browsers.
2: It's, uh, it's not a global window, it's the global object or the global context. Yeah,
3: but, but it's, it's basically just like window in the browser. And yeah, in, in, in the, in the browser
2: this. it's window, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So now we've got three globals in Node. We've got
4: global, uppercase <laughs> yeah. global, and global this. And I bet they all have different properties on them.
3: <laughs> no, I think they're the same. I didn't know about uppercase global. Wow, that's, that's new. Interesting. But yeah, yeah. just like in BrowserLand, you have window and you have uh, global this. Um, but, you know, they wanted to use global. They really wanted to use nodes global, but uh, it didn't work for other reasons. So they invented this horribly named global this. Because like one out of every
4: thousand websites had a variable called global, but only one out of 10 million websites
3: had a variable called global this. Exactly. Some, something like that, probably. So the browsers know, understand the description between script and module. And the ESM designers at Node.js wanted the same thing because they wanted to be as browser-compatible as possible in Node.land. So they defined CJS as script, which it is. So it's sloppy by default. And they decided that ESM ES modules will be, well, modules. But that's a problem because now when Node has to parse a file, it needs to know whether it's parsing a module or a script because the parse is different between the two. Now comes the controversial part
2: in Node.js. Just, just to give an example of where the parse is different for people who don't remember, the with keyword is supported in script and is not supported in, uh, in modules. So that's oh. just uh, an, an additional example. So yes, parsing needs to be different between the two.
3: Well, I didn't know that about with, but yes.
4: And there's, there's certain errors that in, in sloppy mode, it'll do it PHP style where it just encounters the error, says nothing, and keeps going to the next line. And in, in strict mode, those errors become hard errors that actually get thrown. And I think that may originate from like ES1 or so back before try catch was defined. Not, I'm not sure about that.
3: Don't quote me on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send Brendan Ike uh, 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 along your way. So, so, so they, they needed a way to figure out when importing or requiring a file, whether it's like modular script. And they decided on, on a weird way. I think, I think it's the right way, but it is very controversial. They decided that it, it, it's defined by extension. So JS is script, it's CJS, and uh, MJS what I call Michael Jackson script uh, or module JavaScript is ESM. Uh, that, that is the birth of the MJS extension. And people got crazy about this on the internet. I mean, it was a very controversial decision. People love JS. I mean, there's something about as humans, where we can't, I mean, it's just a file extension, but no, we, we, we couldn't. There's something symbolic in that, and people didn't like that. But it was a decision they stuck to, and today, there's a backdoor, well, I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Today, Node uh, an, an ESM, mod- if it's MJS, it is an ESM module for SIR, sure. and if it's JS, It's a a common JS module for sure, except for this one exception because people hollered about MJS. If in your package JSON, you write type colon module, if you add a type module in your package JSON, then all your JSs instantly become ESM. Not CJS or ESM, they just become ESM. But Node still knows whether that file is a JavaScript file, uh, a script CJS module uh, file, or an ESM file just by looking at the extension and the package JSON. And that is very important.
2: So basically you're saying, if I follow you correctly, that if I'm starting a new, totally new project and I want to be ES6 all the way and I really hate the the MJS extension, I can just put that and from that point on, all my JS files are are modules, but there's no going back for that project. Yes.
3: Uh, Well, there is, because if you... Specifically, want common JS, you can have your CJS extension. So you have three extensions MJS always ESM, CJS always common JS, and JS is by default common JS unless it's written in the package JSON and then it's ESM. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. I mean, I like the MJS uh, solution. I mean, it, 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 it it struck my my heart in in a way. Oh my God, we're 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 le- we're losing uh, JS. I like the MJS because it how did clear. that
4: not strike your heart back in 2015? Oh,
3: uh, 2015 didn't define extensions. 2015 didn't find extensions. Uh, no, 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 but,
4: no. I mean, like when they literally changed the language and made it a completely new language that happened to also include JavaScript syntax. Uh,
2: like, Aj, a- 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 I'm I, I'm I, got not strike I, your heart. I, 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 I to like, like it, uh, uh, what people are doing with JavaScript. <laughs> AJ, I'm going to interrupt you because uh, we, we uh, you know, Gil is, Gil is too is too civil, is <laughs> <It's> too <laughs> polite. We're going down too many rabbit holes, I think. And I, I really, and I know that there are some important stuff that we still need to cover, and, and we're getting on in time. So, so I, I really want to get back to the main track.
4: Dan, I'm going to
3: cut you off so we
4: can get to Gil, please. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but no. you know. Controversial or not, I happen to like all the ESs from like 2015 and, and onward. I, I basically like what the, the TTS, TC39 are doing with the language. But hey, like it or not, this is the JavaScript we have. It is what it is. Okay. So we've talked about uh, having full paths to, uh, to uh, the files which is great because now when, when you're importing something from .js, then you know that that file is there and Node.js doesn't have to use uh, to look for it in, uh, in other places. And we know about the MJS extension, which was very controversial. Now the question, that, uh, again, and, and this is also coming from back from browser compatibility. The last thing which can't be browser compatible is bare specifiers. So if you're doing import underscore from Lodash, That's a bare specifier because you're not specifying dot slash low dash or whatever. You're not specifying a relative URL. So you're specifying a package name that has no play. It's not defined by browsers. I mean, browsers specifically in their spec, in the browser spec, say we don't support bare specifiers. We support only relative paths or absolute paths like HTTP colon slash slash whatever. So now what do the node people do? There is no spec for that in browser land. So what they said was this, we can't be browser compatible because there is no bare specifiers in browser compatible. So we'll do two things. One, we'll choose the same module resolution that Node.js has in CommonJS. So they look in node modules slash the, the bear specifier directory name. And if not, they go up the tree and look at that node modules. And if not, they go up the tree and look at that node modules, just like CommonJS does. They do the same thing and go up the tree. That's one thing because they're allowed to and and they have no choice because if they didn't do that, nothing in NPM would work. But they did a second thing, which is interesting. They are working with the browser people, specifically Chrome, but also others, in defining a specification for the browsers, which is called, oh, I forgot. Oh, what what was the name? Import Maps. They are defining a spec that the browsers will implement that will allow them to import their specifiers just like Node does, but without going through all the hoops of going up the directory, et cetera, et cetera. And the way import maps works is, if you, in the browser, do import underscore from Lodash, you will have a script type equals import map, which will define that Lodash points to this directory, points to this file. In you know, in, in the in the in the file server.
2: So basically, it's a, some sort of a JSON representation or something that uh, that does mapping of unique names to URLs, Exactly. relative or or absolute. Exactly
3: packages to you to URLs. It's a JSON. You, you're absolutely right. It's a JSON. Uh, there's ongoing work on it, and once we have that, and it's like. Amy, that might interest you. It is implemented in Chrome. I, I even used it in, 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 a, in a project of mine, just, you know, just to play around with it. It's implemented in Chrome, so you can use like Lodash and all those things, but you need to write, manually write an import map, mapping those package names to whatever node modules or whatever you have. What this means is, and, and this is crazy important, that if you take... Universal JavaScript in the Node.js ESM way, not in the transpiled way, we'll, we'll, we'll get to in a second, that code will work as is in the browser. Okay? The imports and everything will work as is in the browser without any need for transpiling, and you can use load dash and whatever in your Node modules folder as you want. I mean, this for me is a dream come true. I can use the same code in Node.js and in the browser, no transpiling, no bundling, no magic. It just works. This is fantastic. But remember all those transpiled webpack? I mean, we have hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of NPM packages that use import and export, but they're using it like wrong. I'm, I'm doing air quotes wrong. They're using it... Not how browsers defined it, but how CommonJS defines it. So they're using it not like the browsers are using it. So they can't be part of this like celebration of universal JavaScript. No, JS ESM can be part of that. Browser ESM can be part of that. But all those transpiled, bundled things still have to be bundled. And still have to be transpiled, which is a bit ironic if you think about it, in that Node.js ESM is much more browser compatible than front-end code today, which is interesting. What I'm hearing is
4: that the USB 3.0 community learned from JavaScript and followed the mistakes play-by-play, but USB 4.0 and ES 2020 are going to fix
3: it all. Um, it, it's not, yes, 2020, it's, it's, uh, y- you know, uh, my, my take on this is that, uh, everything in, in, computer land, everything in software land is, is Darwinian. We never get things right the first time. The module system, you know, I, I, you know, I've been using JavaScript since 1990, like seven, five, six, uh, something like that. The module system is an ongoing series of mistakes good mistakes, Darwinian mistakes, and we're slowly converging. I'm not saying the best system because Darwin never said, you know, natural selection brings you the best system, but it's it's a good system. It's an adaptable system. It's like it's 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 something that will probably survive because it survived the contest of time. And yes, we have this one last and obviously it's not last, but one big, one small step to do moving all those transpiled codes slowly into the Node.js browser way of looking at things. And and then we we will definitely finally be in a place where mod, the module system in JavaScript is like JavaScript and not transpilations and all kinds of magic. Uh, I, I think that's a good thing.
4: I have but, a rare thing to say. I agree with you. It's oh, like
3: all my grievances
4: with the import system. As far as I can tell from what you said, all my grievances have, have been accounted for. So I, I look forward to ES 2020. Wow. Uh,
3: my dream has always been, and, and I, uh, has always been, um, a- Amy was talking about, we don't need all that webpack and bundling. And, and she's right. I mean, it's, it's a horrible clutch of a system where I remember back in the TOSA cities <laughs> days where, I mean, you could write your HTML, CSS JavaScript, and, you know, F5 your way till it runs. You know, change it, F5, change it, F5, change it, F5. And today you, you have these scripts creating humongous, configuration just to do the same thing. I want it to be as simple as that. And ES6, ES modules give us that.
1: So the the big reason I wanted to take the approach that I'm taking currently is less so for me and more so for the rest of my team, since I'm really the only like JavaScript person, I want the code to be, you know, for somebody who just has like a very like baseline understanding of JavaScript, really, really, really easy for them to like tweak if they need to. Regardless, it's like the the best possible scenario to not have something like that for a team that's like a front end team. But for teams that are like not really focused on front end, but need to do a little bit of front end here and there, you know. Yep.
2: So so I, I wanted to add on top of that something. Uh, yeah. So one good thing and one not so good thing. So the good thing is I I definitely agree with Amy and with everything that Gil said about the huge benefit of not requiring a bundling solution. And so we're working on this project right now, and it needs to be cross-browsers, including our brothers, browsers that aren't Chrome. Uh, and so we are using a bundler. But being able, at least during the development process, to just do uh, a script module and then do an import. And I don't have to bundle stuff and I don't have to care about, uh, about source maps because source maps are... are well, pardon me, but crap. The devil. Uh, The devil, because it never works properly in the console window and you never get the correct uh, variable names and single-stepping never quite works the way that you want it to. So just being able to do a script module and all the things just works without bundling, without pre-compiling, without transpiling, without anything, that's just a, a dream come true for me and it's a wonderful experience. That said we do need to be careful because uh, uh, if we look at how applications are styled today and how modules are created, we will end up eventually with a really large number of modules. And even with HTTP2, downloading all these modules uh, individually is potentially going to be a big uh, performance headache. And just to make a comment on on that is that in an upcoming uh, episode that you know, in, a, in a couple of weeks, we'll actually uh, have uh, your advice from Google over to talk about how, what they're thinking about doing in that context. So that will be really interesting. But back to you, Gil.
3: And I quite agree. Um, um, <laughs> not bundling in production is, 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 is not a good thing today. I mean, dev, dev, development, not bundling, great. It works very fast. Local host. In production, you definitely have to bundle today, but there's light even at the end of that tunnel. I think it's called Web Packages. If if I'm stepping on on your advice from Google, uh, please tell me then. Web Packages is an upcoming standard by browsers where you can take all your source files, zip them into one zip, sign it with your uh, secret key, and put it wherever you want on a CDN or whatever, and the import will just work as is again without transpiling by using some kind of mapping mechanism. So even the bundling part will probably be solved using native mechanisms and not via transpiling and bundling.
2: I don't know if that's what Jov is going to say. I guess our listeners will have to wait and find out. Ooh. But
3: I don't know much more about web packages. I saw it. I thought it was amazing. And, and, and it also solves, I think it solves the problem of bundling. And, and for me, th- this is my goal. Um, I, I'm, when I did front end uh, at Wix, by the way, I invented, I'm doing air quotes here, the idea of taking the browser code and running it in Node.js so that I can unit and integrate test it instead of running it in the browser. And it worked you know, using JS DOM to like, simulate the DOM. And it worked wonderfully well. And I could run like hundreds of uh, tests in seconds. But I always had that problem of require and, 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 and all that problem, and once we have which is which is solvable. But once we have a universal module system that works across node and the browser and, and maybe other systems, then boom, that problem will disappear too, and we're we're basically in, in, in what I think is fantasy land. No transpilation whatsoever. I'm, I mean, this is this is the goal. This is this is my. Yeah. Goal.
4: I don't think we'll ever get there unless no, I don't think either <laughs> unless the the ECMAScript committee gets fired or significantly reduced. Cause, Cause as long as they're getting a paycheck to sit on the committee, they're going to change things because it is their job to change things. And as long as they're changing things,
3: we're gonna have transpilation. Sure, but browsers are really, really good at at, at following the standard, the JavaScript standard today. So it, basically today the browsers are, are more advanced than the script than TC39 itself. So you have features in the browsers that aren't yet standardized. They're only in stage 2 and stage three. But, but I agree, I mean, we'll always have some reason for transpilation, I think, but at least not in Node.js land. In Node.js, we, we don't transpile a lot. And hopefully, like in a year or two, we won't transpile a lot in, in JavaScript land. I think that the, the main problem in transpilation is, is not coming from all those features, it's coming from TypeScript. TypeScript is becoming immensely popular. Until TC39- That's not synonymous
4: with the ES2020, there's still differences, what's left to add? <laughs> Oh, well, well. There's a lot of syntax in types. TypeScript. Yeah, types
3: basically. <laughs> it's TypeScript, not for nothing. <laughs> so until TC thirty nine does the Python thing, which I hope they will one day, but I'm not seeing any signs to it, where they like leave a place for types in in the syntax where anybody can do whatever they want. TypeScript is going to be transpiled, and I'm I'm very sad about that. But that's a totally entirely
2: different story. Uh, I, I don't know if we have time for that, because I know we're running really towards the end of the show, but I, I remember one important comment that you made in that talk that you gave that we didn't touch on here, and I don't really know if you have time for it or not, but the fact that when you import stuff, it does static analysis into the module that you're importing, which is different than how, than how CommonJS behaves. Uh, oh. am, am I putting it correctly? Am,
3: yes, uh, yes. Uh, and that touches upon what AJ said. What, what, when, when doing ESM import, it's not doing like require where everything is like both loaded and executed synchronously. What it's doing is it's first loading and parsing all the files in parallel and asynchronously. So if you have a large tree, you could be reading and, and parsing two files at the same time using two cores theoretically. Okay. Now, once it it has all that tree parsed and loaded, loaded and parsed, now it starts executing it like synchronously, just like RequireJS does. So that that's that's a benefit we get from ESM for free in that the loading part. Uh, of, of ESM should be somewhat faster than the loading of, of JS. Not very much faster, but somewhat faster. And, um, and
2: I think that the reason that this can happen is because the export syntax is declarative. Yes. That means that instead of, instead of having to run all the code in order to generate a module object that I return, which means that I actually have to run at least all the top-level code in the module. So I need to load it parse it, and run it, and we know all JavaScript execution happens on, uh, on a single uh, uh, thread because JavaScript itself, the language, is single-threaded essentially by definition, then with parsing, there's nothing preventing parsing from happening on multiple cores. And in fact, if we look at modern browsers, again, Chrome, Chromium-based browsers, Chrome Edge, etc., they do do the parsing on multiple cores on in multiple threads. So you actually... Uh, in the browser, you can parse like six files at the same time in parallel, which is a significant performance boost. Yep, and uh-huh. I guess that node will be able to do the same thing at startup time with with ES6 module. And,
3: and it's doing it. I even checked. Uh, I'm not sure about parsing because there's no way I can check the parse. But at least loading the files is is being done asynchronously and in parallel. Definitely. <laughs>
2: Uh, I would assume that it that it would because it's the same JavaScript engine. It's it's V eight, so there's no reason why it wouldn't be the same thing. But probably, you know. yep.
3: We're going to have some migration time between like full ESM and like the world we live in, which is um, CommonJS and ESM. And Node, the, the ESM modules working group it did a, a new a new thing, which is called the exports. Which enables you to write a, a package, which, if you require it, is a CJS module. And if you import it, it's an ESM module. There's lots of information on that on the internet. I think it's crazy important because we'll, we're gonna spend a lot, like a couple of years uh, doing both at the same time. Uh, so I think it's really, really good for migration. Uh, if you're writing uh, modules, please use them. Uh, Please uh, use uh, dual
2: mode. I'll make a comment about that. There was recently this whole thing. Uh, I think, AJ, you and I communicated about this on on Twitter, about the isPromise library, which is this uh, single-line library, and they added ESM support, and they managed to break the library or something like that. Which broke
4: Create React app and
3: Firebase. Yes, yes, for a few hours. yep. Yeah, uh, Lirantal, by the way, had a, has a nice, uh, on the SNCC.io, uh blog, uh, has a nice uh, a report on that, a blog post on, on the whole thing.
2: All this for a module which shouldn't exist in the first place. Because <laughs> checking for is promise is evil.
5: <laughs> Left pad part two, huh?
4: I, I think that checking for is promise is kind of like a, it's, it's like one, it's a code smell. Like something else is wrong in your code if you don't know whether or not an object is a promise or uh, and how to call promise.resolve on it.
2: Yeah, and, and by, by the way, what you should probably do in that weird case is just do a promise.resolve uh, on whatever value you have and then just treat it as a promise, and that's that.
4: Well, yeah, 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 That's because promise.resolve, that's what, yeah. On a promise
2: returns the original promise.
4: Yeah. So I don't, I don't know why you would ever check is promise unless you had like some sort of strange code where like if you're being passed in a promise, then you return a promise. But otherwise you use like a callback method or I like, I don't know what the use case for that would be, but it seems very polymorphic in, in the raw, all the wrong ways.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And it broke a lot of packages. So that's that.
0: Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. that's devchat.tv slash All right. Well, we've got 10 minutes left of our scheduled time, so I'm going to push us to picks. Um, but this has been really, really interesting. I, I didn't have as much to say as AJ,
5: but I enjoyed it. Steve, why don't we have you start with picks? Okay. And before we, uh, I do my pick, I wanted to say I did learn a third way to say the library known as Babel. It's either, I've always heard Babel or Babel, but Babel was a new one that I've heard today. So that's...
3: Yeah, sorry, earthquake. Hebrew. It uh, remember, it's, it's from the Bible, um, oh, the yeah. Old oh, Testament. Yeah, exactly. So yep. it's Genesis. Babel, actually.
5: <laughs> yeah, okay. So picks I have today are some children's books. Um, this was brought to, uh, sort of brought to my mind uh, by a firefighter from my department who did some reading online for kids. and He read this book called Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. I laughed out loud because <laughs> nice. I laughed out loud because when my nine-year-old was pretty young, and I don't, I want to say around three or something like that, we read that for a while, we read that book every night. And he and I could both literally recite that book. It's written by a guy named Mo Willems, W-I-L-L-E-M-S. And he actually had a few pigeon books. So he had in addition to Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, there's Don't Let the Pigeon Stay Up Late. And the pigeon finds a hot dog. And he's got some other similar books with the duckling. So I'll put those three links in there. But uh, he's really a pretty funny guy. He does some uh, reading of his books and stuff. But those are my picks. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks?
4: All right. So I've got some good ones today. As always, first of all, i got to pick USB 4. Because in theory, once USB 4 is out and it starts getting adopted, then we'll be able to, with certainty, use all of those old Thunderbolt displays that were only produced for that very, very short time range on any computer. And I look forward to that. I look forward to the day when I can use my old, outdated Thunderbolt display on a Microsoft computer because it's coming very, very soon. Um, and in fact, it can work on some of like, the, like, the gaming computers that have USB 3.0 implemented as Thunderbolt. But USB 4.0 will also be Thunderbolt. So that's, that's cool, I think. Um, number two, I'm going to pick Miracle Berry. I must've picked this before throughout the years because every time I have a Miracle Berry party, I want to tell everybody about it. Miracle Berry is this thing. It's a, it contains a protein. It's a, it's a fruit that grows someplace in Africa in a really harsh environment. Like you have to use battery acid to get it to germinate if you want to do it in a regular environment. It's super weird, but it has a protein in it that blocks the spicy, bitter, and sour taste receptors on your tongue. And so you can literally bite into a lemon. You you dissolve the tablet on your tongue for like three to five minutes. I always use half a tablet actually because then, you know, you can spread it among more people when you have the party. It's like a tasting party. You you like you bring some lemons, some limes, some cheeses, some vinegars, like just different things. You just like, you can look online for a list. But um, you let the thing dissolve on your tongue and then you bite into a lemon. This is my favorite experience in the whole world. And it's like the sweetest candy you've never tasted. I mean, like, you just can't imagine. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. The caution is, if you bite into too many lemons, it will still make your tongue bleed from the sourness, give you a sore throat and a tummy ache. So be cautious. You, you got to be wise because everything, anything that's citrus or, or spicy or bitter I mean, there's some things that don't, and it works differently for different people. But anyway, I highly, highly recommend having a Miracle Berry tasting party. And then lastly, heavy-duty suction cups. Turns out, speaking of Thunderbolt displays and IMAX and such, what holds the glass screen on is a magnet. So if you ever need to like replace a cable or replace the front of the screen or anything of that nature, you use these suction cups, and you just plop it on the front and pull back. And... And it's just it's just magnets and metal bars that are attached to the glass of the screen and the and the case, and you pull it and it comes right off. Like who'd have thought? But um, but uh, and and they're just fun to play with for other things. I mean, you know, once you have a suction cup, you just and, and a heavy duty one, you just you just realize all the possibilities. You pick up objects for no reason, carry them around, try to see how much weight it can support from a door frame. Kids,
5: uh, uh, siblings, yeah. Yes, the possibilities of imagining are endless. It could be quite fun.
4: And that, I got to go. Peace. Adios.
0: Bye. (laughs) There was was a drink I had a few years ago that, for whatever reason, made my tongue go numb. And I don't remember what was in it. I think it was like a cactus extract. Anyway, but yeah, that's what that reminded me of, for whatever reason. Anyway, Amy, what are your
1: picks? I'm actually going to pick AJ and some of the stuff that he's been doing. Because AJ... Uh, the goodness of his heart gave me about 45 minutes of his time last week to walk me through um, just some kind of like Go basics, uh, making sure, you know, that I have the right way of installing it on my machine and just kind of like organizing your project and I don't know, just kind of like the hello world of Go. So I appreciate it that he gave up like 45 minutes of his time out of the goodness of his heart. And I don't have the YouTube channel handy, but I'm going to plug his channel too because I think, so we had had a conversation, uh, Dan, AJ, and I a couple weeks back, and I think there's like a huge gap in just general like networking and knowledge of Linux for kind of like the, the bootcamp era developers, and I think that being able to use your tools more wisely is going to really benefit you as a developer and help you grow into, you know, senior principal so on and so forth a lot more quickly so i'm going to pick his channel and yeah check that kind of stuff out i think it'll help you grow good i guess I'm that's blushing. it <laughs> I mean it though i'm not just plugging it cuz you're no, here I, like i genuinely mean <laughs> it <laughs> i get it also
4: as a result of our little pairing session webinstall.dev was born. Direct result of that.
2: Nice. <laughs> I was going to pick that. Oh, okay. <laughs>
4: well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out because I've got to go, but this is cool. Thanks. Bye.
0: Totally. Bye. Awesome. Dan, what are your picks?
2: Okay. So I'm going to, first I'm going to concur with Amy, even though AJ is gone and we could uh, say nasty things about him. I actually am going to concur with <laughs> Amy that uh, the videos that he's been putting up are amazing. Uh, he's doing some, the production value, uh, value on them is awesome and the content is just you know, out of this world, especially given that most of them are just like uh, two to five minutes long. So I I highly recommend uh, checking them out and learning lots of new and useful technical stuff. Uh, And also what uh, AJ himself mentioned just before he left, uh, webinstall.dev. I'll actually post that for the show notes. Uh, That's kind of a web-based universal installer it you know, we just announced it today, so I, I haven't had any chance to, to actually play with it yet. But uh, it looks really interesting to be able to essentially just uh, curl a URL and have uh, Node or Go or Rust just installed onto your computer. That looks really, really interesting and, and, and useful. Uh, being able to easily install stuff is always uh, an important thing, and it's always like a barrier of entry to, to new technologies, being able to just install them. The other thing that I wanted to pick has nothing actually to do with technology. Uh, Gil actually mentioned it at the beginning of, uh, of, of our talk today. It's the fact that in Israel, today was uh, Memorial Day and tomorrow is Independence Day. Uh, in, in Israel, they're one after the other because we kind of first say, say thank you to the people who laid their lives for Israel to exist. So that's why we kind of honor, honor the fallen on Memorial Day, just one day ahead of of Independence Day. Uh, It was actually kind of doubly sad this year because due to the lockdown, uh, a lot of people could not uh, actually visit the graves of their loved ones, uh, which was really sad for me. Uh, And... um, Uh, So, yeah, but uh, tomorrow is going to be a really big, again, under lockdown and a lot of restrictions, but it's going to be celebrations and it's going to be a really happy day, which I'm I'm going to use to to plug Israel. So once this whole uh, Corona thing is over, uh, I highly recommend for anybody listening to visit Israel. Uh, Lots of cool things to see, try, great food to eat. Do come over for a visit. It's a small country, lots to see. So you can tour all of it or most of it in, in a couple of days. And I think you'll enjoy it a lot. So those are my picks for today.
5: Yeah, I so want to get over to Israel sometime. I've had opportunities in the past and haven't been able to come up with the funds. But yeah, coming over to Israel is definitely one of the highest things on my bucket list.
0: Yep, yeah, it's on my list too. I'm going to throw in a few picks of my own. So one is a video that I watched last night still kind of digesting some of it, but it was a discussion by a doctor from Fresno, California, or Bakersfield. Bakersfield, Bakersfield, California. And he was talking about what he'd seen with the whole COVID-19 thing. It was really interesting just to kind of, mostly they approached it from a data driven uh, standpoint, as far as like what they'd seen and what other people had seen that they were talking to and things like that. Anyway, so I I thought it was interesting. Um, It'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. But One thing that I have been kind of seeing is that a lot of this gets politicized. And so it was rather refreshing to just have them say, look, here are the numbers that we've seen. Here are the numbers that we're getting. And here's what we think it means without diving into all of the political wrangling back and forth and up and down about this stuff. So yeah, I think it's worth a watch. I don't know that I would take any analysis of it seriously unless it came from another doctor, you know, because the news media
5: people... statistics. Yep. Well Chuck, is, was this the one that got taken down by YouTube because it dared to contradict the World Health Organization? Yes. Or this
0: like, okay. But uh, I found another version of it up, so I don't I, I don't want to get too political about it, but yeah, it's it's hard to find information where somebody can actually back it up with real data. So another pick that I have is Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um I've been playing that a bunch lately. And uh, <laughs> it's just a freaking fun game. I think I'm going for total domination this time, so uh, basically, go through and uh, find every little um, extra thing, get every uh, dungeon, so yeah, complete completion of the game is kind of what I 'm after this time and then i've been getting a little bit i don 't want to say depressed because that word has way more baggage than I do. You know some people are legit depressed i've just been a little bit down, low energy, and so i'm going to be starting 75 hard again, and so I put a link into that in the show notes as well. Um, and basically, it's just a program where you do some fitness, some personal learning. And I think this time I'm going to go through it. And then I'm going to do the phase one, which includes having a power list every day, which is hard. 75 hard is hard, but 75 hard phase one with the power list and the cold showers is, is real hard. So anyway, I, I kind of want to just uh, beat that into submission. I'm also looking at figuring out where I can do uh, half Ironman. Um, I ran a marathon last year, so I kind of want to see how far I can push this. So anyway, that's kind of what I'm playing with these days. Gil, do you have some picks for us?
3: I get to pick two. Woo! Um, yeah. I, I, I was scrambling for, okay, um, what, what picks? So, so I have two. First of all, is a movie I've seen this week and on the Criterion channel. It's called Sunset Boulevard. It's a 1950s movie by, by Billy Wilder. He's an amazing director, and I think it's his best film it's about an aging silent movies actress like she's living in this castle of hers and nobody remembers her uh, practically and the amazing thing is that all her movements are, are like the silent film movement where, where every every expression is like totally exaggerated and everything and she meets this young scriptwriter from like modern hollywood and, and the difference between their acting, he's cool and sarcastic and she's like expressionless and crying all the time and like happy all the time. And everything is so vivid, is, is really, really good. It like reminds me a little bit about, you know, like the cool uh, ESM and the sunsetting of uh, of uh, Common JS as the silent movie actress. Uh, that, that's my metaphor, my pick metaphor for today. Second pick. Note Note 14, Note version 14 I think came out this week or last week. I, I mean it's just another version but the nice thing is it is it it includes the latest V8. So we get two nice features in, in, uh, in JavaScript, which I really have really been wanting to use, which is uh, the Elvis operator, like uh, question mark dot, which enables you to write A, question mark dot B, question mark dot C. And, 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 and if there's a null there somewhere, it'll just ignore it. And knowledge coalescing, which is the two question marks operator, uh, which enables you to give defaults. Uh, to, 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 to values if they're undefined or null. So I like these two additions to uh, JavaScript, and I can't wait to use them in Node.js 14.
2: I've not yet heard them being referred to as an Elvis operator. Where did that yeah, come from? Uh, if you look at them
3: sideways, uh, it's like the eye of Elvis and his little twirl that he always has in his hair.
2: Look at it, you'll understand.
3: <laughs> the, the
2: name Elvis operator, I think, comes from Ruby. Cool. That's it. Chuck, I think you're on mute.
3: So
0: does Zoom. Gil, <laughs> if people want to find you online, where do they find you?
2: Twitter, Gil uh, Tyr.
3: That, that's my handle. That's my handle basically everywhere. Uh, GitHub also. Uh, Gil IR on Twitter. Please follow me. I'd love. I love that. Please talk to me. Uh, anything you want to talk about? ESM testing, whatever. I'm there.
1: This is a fun discussion. Two two back and to back. I liked last week's too. I like these deep dives.
0: Yep. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and... Sorry, did I cut you off, Amy?
1: No, you didn't. You're good.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for coming. Until next time, Max out. Adios. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Healthy and safe.
0: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.